In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Team all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Thursday on the Chuck Oliver Show, and we're talking college football because what we do. Among that is Hugh Freeze, who's been a very busy man. It was sort of tongue-in-cheek, but when, I don't know, the trees got rolled when Saban quit, but Hugh Freeze was busy, man. I don't know if he even, you know, celebrated anyway. He uh, was trying to fill out a coaching staff and replace some guys, and Caddy was on his way out, and so it's just been... A lot of coming and going in the coach's parking lot outside the facility. I want to welcome on right now from the Montgomery Advertiser, Richard Silva. Welcome to the program, Richard. How is your Thursday? Hey, Chuck. Thank you for having me. My Thursday has been, been going well so far. How about yourself? Nothing but blessed, man. Uh, let's talk about Hugh Freeze and completing that staff. Is it official now? Uh, we've heard for a couple of weeks DJ Durkin's going to be added. Uh, is he added, and is it D.C., co-D.C., he and Charles Kelly? What's going on? Yes, sir. So he has officially added the uh, the on-field staff of 10 assistants is complete. Uh, his title, according to Auburn, is defensive coordinator, and Charles Kelly is co-DC. Um, I'm not sure how exactly those titles work. You'd think there'd be two co-DCs, but regardless, they will both have a hand in the defense. And uh, Hugh Freeze spoke about it yesterday uh, in Mobile, talking at the Senior Bowl that uh, he's confident and, and he he likes the fact that Charles Kelly's, you know, his focus is a bit more on the back end as a former DB and Durkin's uh, focus is a bit more, you know, in that front seven linebackers and, and the defensive line up front. He likes how the two of them mix together. Do we need to talk about division of duties on offense? Because, again, maybe I was too presumptive here, but when I saw who was leaving and Hugh Freeze, I was like, it's going to be his offense. And then he, who he added, um, and as I say, Coach Caddy leaving, give me your distillation of who was on the offensive staff now and who's really going to be in charge and calling the plays. Yeah, I think it'll be kind of three, uh, three people. And obviously, Hugh being one of them, Derek Nix will be involved, and Ken Austin will be involved. In terms of calling plays, I don't know who, who and I, I don't, I don't even know if Hugh knows, to be honest with you, uh, of who's going to be do, doing that the the majority of the time. Uh, but I do think the three of them will have a hand in it. Ken Austin, the new quarterbacks coach, he was on the staff last year. I think his uh, as an as an off the field role, a special assistant to the head coach, I think was his title. He he was the co OC for Freeze at, at Liberty, and he followed him over here. I think he will be more involved in the pass game. And Derek Nix, who obviously was just hired from Ole Miss, spent the last four seasons coaching running backs. I think his focus will be a little bit more on the run game, and then Hugh will kind of have an an overarching responsibility over all of that, obviously. All right, so the bowl game was kind of gruesome, but um, Peyton Thorne started having some moments and looking more comfortable and such. Um, Later in the season, I was like, oh, there's a guy through for 7,000 yards. Um, Tell me in just your estimation, um, 
where is Hugh Freeze and, and this offensive staff? Where do you think that they're going to be with him in spring? Um, he's a big, giant, experienced kid now. Um, how good is he? Yeah, I think, you know, the the staff will, and whether or not they're telling the truth, the staff will call it a, a competition between, you know, everybody in that room. There's four scholarship guys now. There's there's Payton. There's Hank Brown, who will be a redshirt sophomore in this upcoming season. Walker White, the true freshman coming in, uh, the four-star. And then there will also be uh, Holden Garner, who's been here for three seasons now. He was Harson's last class. Um, in terms of Payton, I, like I said, they'll call it a competition. I do think Payton is just the clear favorite, in, in my opinion, right now, given his experience and that Hugh didn't really move off of him at all last year. I know they they did that, the, the Robbie Ashford thing um, at first, but he never really moved off of Payton as the starter. And, I mean, maybe Walker White comes in here and, and, and lights it up and, and, and just, you know, takes that job. But as of now, I think it's Payton and – you know, I think he did get more comfortable for sure as the season went on. Uh, I'm curious how, you know, he's got to learn a whole new offense now. So it's not like he's getting year two in the same offense. So I'm curious how he's going to deal with, with those issues. All right, let's talk Will Redman. This was probably, I don't know, a week ago or so, but it started in motion, and LSU had already been looking at Ole Miss to kind of bring back somebody, and now Lane's gone out and taking somebody from Sark, and so it just happens. Uh, specifically, just drop this into an Auburn fishbowl. Will Redman, what does Hugh Freeze want want, want this to equal for, for football? Yeah, it's, I think so, it's sort of like, and again, not to keep bringing up yesterday his, his uh, speaking engagement in, in Mobile, but he talked about Will Redmond down there and just, you know, it's it's weird for him at least that you kind of have to have a GM-ish type role in uh, in college football. But I think that's exactly what it is, kind of like a, like a player personnel in charge of that. Um, similar to a GM of that in the NFL, but, you know, not quite because – I mean, obviously, with NIL and, and all that, it's not it's not the same. But in a similar vein to that, and I, I, I'm curious how he'll fit in and how much he will, will talk about him throughout the season because I think a lot of that work is background work. But I'm, I'm curious how Hugh talks about him and how much praise he gives him throughout the year. All right, well, let's flip it around to the other side of the ball. Um it's even hard to ask this. It's not supposed to be because we're less than a week out of a signing day that I don't think is going to be extremely impactful if Ryan Williams, you know, follows through with his thing. Um, but where do you think the defense will be in the coming season? Because I liked the coaching until fourth and 31 for the most part. Um, but it's such a turnover personnel. Um, where do you think this defense can be in the coming year? Yeah, the defense was, in my opinion, really solid last year, especially yeah. considering the offense was, was pretty anemic for, for a better yeah, part of the year. Yeah. Um, in terms of how the, they'll play this year, I am interested in how they'll replace some of these guys. I mean, the entire secondary besides Keontae Scott is, is gone. They had three guys in Mobile yesterday. Zion Puckett's another guy trying to get to the NFL. So they, they, they've retooled there. They've got some blue-chip prospects that are entering their second year, um, so they'll definitely get some opportunity. Keontae is going to need to be huge for them. Um, but what I'm really interested in is up front because they lost Marcus Harris, and Marcus Harris didn't make either of the uh, all-SEC teams, and that, that stunned me. I thought he was really good. I, I think I believe he was the number nine ranked by PFF defensive lineman in the country last year. He might have been number one in, in, in the SEC, I think. It was just – he had a really, really good season. Obviously, he's gone uh, now. 
And they've added some transfers. Trill Carter from Texas on, on the defensive line. Gage Keys from Kansas. Uh, but, yes, I, I am, for Auburn, I am mildly concerned that there are, you, you're, you're replacing a lot of starters and impactful starters, too. All right, so across the state, just give me your initial first blush, Kalen DeBoer, because now it's kind of complete over there. Um, tell me your view of what happens to Alabama, because there's still, I mean, a whole lot right about the Alabama program, but it certainly is different because it's not Saban. Regardless of who it is, it's not Saban. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, I think at the end of the day, Alabama's going to be fine. You know, no one has ever going to be saving again probably in our lifetimes well kirby but uh no, no one at alabama will probably be saving again in our lifetimes but i think kaylin will be fine alabama will be fine um you know alabama fans perhaps may have to temper their expectations at, at least early on but i think he's done done a fine job so far especially with you know they were hemorrhaging for a little bit when they with julian saying leaves yeah, yeah. Proctor leaves for, uh, for a little bit caleb downs obviously the big one but I think it, it was a, a mark of good uh, self-awareness to lock up Ryan Williams, where I would assume that, you know, they, they did whatever they had to do because they know they couldn't lose that one, and they couldn't lose that one to Auburn. Um, so I think it was a good mark of self-awareness by him and his staff to, to, to be able to shut that, that one down and, and get a big win. If we go back to the last time it was a full month, a full 30 days with Brian Harson and Alan Green on the campus together to where it is now, um, talk just general feel and then also the functionality versus dysfunction um, with the football program specifically, but also just the athletic department and the overall vibe of it all. Yeah, I think at least from what athletics director John Cohen and obviously Hugh Freeze put on and say it sounds like they have a good relationship Hugh said that um that john was was, was understanding during the, the dc search and kind of you know ultimately let him hire his guy um so i do think that i do think they're on the same page um you know we'll see what happens where you know anything can happen in year two they win five or six games they win eight or nine games but if they win five or six games what is you know what, what? What is that noise like? What is that alignment like? Uh, I'm curious what it'll be then. But I would say for now, for now, it's good. Last thing for you, and I mentioned Coach Cadillac. Um, Carnell Williams no longer on the staff there. Um, regardless of details and whatever, he's gone, and he was, you know, the guy that kind of had to bridge from Harson, and then you're going to hire somebody new. Um, has that has that discussion sort of come and gone with the Auburn fan base, given how popular he is and his history? Yeah, it was interesting. I almost and don't get me wrong, people very much were 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 upset and were were curious about about what happened. But I do think the the fan base has kind of moved on quickly and it's no personal slight to, to Cadillac or, or anything like that. I think the the fan base for better or for worse is just going to ride or die with, with, with Hugh Freeze and, and and the decisions he makes and and those things and if you know it, whatever staff changes were made this offseason, the fan base, for the most part, is going to going to be okay with that. And like I said, we'll see if that tune changes at all year two, oh, year three, yeah. or beyond that if if some losses pile up. Yeah, get the wins. And uh, I back you all the way, Coach. Last thing, and this is just maybe for my own person. I don't know if you know that I'm an Auburn grad. And so am I going to okay. get an envelope asking me to pay for a new television in the north end zone like they got in the south end zone? <laughs> like did he announce a new video or something coming? So 
a tomorrow they uh they put up the agenda for tomorrow's board meeting about a week ago i think and yeah the uh the the new video board the new jumbotron that that john cohen's been talking about since he got hired it's finally it seems like that ball's rolling um it's on the bot meeting for them to approve uh that you know that initiative that is tomorrow in montgomery i'll be there as i'm sure a bunch of other uh outlets will be and covering it and once it gets approved and you know talking to john cohen about specific details and whatnot it, you know what the one that's there it now looks like that coca-cola scoreboard at like a church softball field only because <laughs> of what's in the other end zone like it didn't look so rinky dink until you're like look at the other one you're like good lord you can see it from space um (laughs) so it just is so just incongruous but whatever it's just kind of how it is now in college football richard appreciate you brother thank you man thank you very much i appreciate you having me on man does it in a big way for the montgomery advertiser mentioned this that um brought up a couple of weeks ago for whatever me it was 14 million it was jay jacobs big fan of jay jacobs one of the nicest people you'd ever run across uh was i want to say a walk-on lineman at auburn Back when Pat Dye was the coach, maybe first the coach, played on the Sugar Bowl team against Michigan in 83. He went from assistant strength and conditioning coach to athletic director. Hey, did you know Jay at all? I didn't have any dealings with him, but obviously over at Auburn, they've had uh, interesting paths for people that AD job. David Housel got there, too, not from a typical path to the AD role. Oh, sports information. Um, so yeah, David Housel and Jay Jacobs, and then they're like, all right, let's do something completely different. And they did. And then when they did that with the AD, he's like, let's do something completely different with a football coach. And they did. And then Auburn's like, all right, how about people who are from the SEC? Maybe we try that now. Um, and so it just is one of those things. The, the letter came in and I was like a video board. Hmm. And then I saw it and I was like, you see, now I don't know the good, bad or in the middle of spending $14 million on giant TV for the end zone. All right. If you're gonna spend that much, boy, they got it right. I mean, it's impressive as all get out. They got it right. And that was a Jay Jacobs thing. Um, and so in the other end zone, though, you look up there and you're like, oh, I just got a regular scoreboard, which now you just can't have. I think it was Georgia. Credit Kirby, man. Credit Kirby. Georgia had a game against Notre Dame, a home game against Notre Dame, that they most likely were going to win, we thought. And actually, as I might remember, Ian Book had like sort of a shot put throw at the end that at least by scoreboard could have you know done something. Um, but they were I, there wasn't a minute of that game I was ever really worried that George was going to lose. But the point is, it was historical for the first time in the history of history. Notre Dame football was going to play in Athens, and so everybody was going to watch. That's when Georgia cut the ribbon on that 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 ribbon board. That that between the upper deck and the lower deck that and where the suites are that digital ribbon board it's unbelievable and they waited and said all right now and everybody's like i wish i had a ribbon board can't put one in in the middle of the season so nobody knew about it and whatever else everybody's like i had a ribbon board and so now other places have them so it's just what you're doing everywhere um and normally you will see when the rival has a new whatever put in, 
you will go for a little bit more square footage or it used to be we have to have 30 more people in our max attendance etc they're actually going the other way in this tuscaloosa they put a new uh, video thing and they didn't pay attention to anybody they didn't even try to challenge that and you're actually reducing capacity so after decades and decades and decades of trying to one up by being bigger and more we're actually doing the opposite now. All right, we break. Continue more. Check out our show this Thursday next. Now back to the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. It's a Thursday on the Chuck Oliver Show, and we talk college football. And my Waffle House visit this morning. And I normally just, I don't know, I try to leave my personal life and daily adventures out of it. But I don't know. I had a revelation this morning. I think I've been off on something for about 40 years, or maybe I've just never paid attention to it. I have a tough truth for all Southerners and anyone who believes in God. Waffle House this morning, guy walks in. I don't know. He's about 30. Wife, two critters. I'm waiting on a to-go order. As they walk past, he stops, and I hear, ooh, because he sees there's a jukebox, a, a, a music machine. And so he swipes his card, and he starts to play some songs. First song that starts, Devil Went Down to Georgia by Charlie Daniels. I don't know if it's the first time I've ever actually listened to the song, Sorry, guys. Johnny lost. And I don't think it was close. Band of Demons, way better. Granny, does your dog bite? No child, no. Sorry. I get your soul. You lost. And it was, it was, it was, they were so much better than Johnny. So I just, I don't know. Revelation this morning. He lost, and I don't, I don't even think it was. Very close. Hey, how's your Thursday? Now, see, uh, this was not in any way the direction I thought you were going from the Waffle House jukebox. I admit, I've not seen a Waffle House jukebox in a while. Oh, but they're all digital now, and so you can pick, I mean, literally thousands of songs are in there. So they don't have the deal where you could, like, play the song. It's like, you know, nothing like grits at the Waffle House or whatever. You they may you have Waffle those? House classics on that. I was impressed. The reason I said guy's about 30, he's playing a charlie daniels song from before his birth why because it's almost an anthem that we all just kind of hum along with and i'm like wait a minute no devil was better you better be careful the one thing about putting a jukebox in a place is you, you better make sure you have the capacity to override it without like unplugging it because otherwise you could get somebody who decides they're going to play devil went down to georgia 10 times in a row to mess with you and maybe the third time that johnny's losing the battle it might not go so well uh, the NCAA, Chuck, speaking of losing battles, the NCAA has put out a statement, a strongly worded statement about the uh, lawsuit filed yesterday saying, quote, while the NCAA generally does not comment on specific infractions cases, it is important to remember that NCAA members, schools and conferences not only make the rules, but routinely call for greater enforcement of those rules and holding violators accountable in recent years, this has been especially true as it relates to establishing and enforcing a consistent set of national rules intended to manage the name, image, and likeness environment. Legal action would exacerbate what our members themselves have frequently described as a Wild West atmosphere, frequent, or further tilting competitive imbalance among schools in neighboring states, and diminishing protections for student-athletes from potential exploitation. The NCAA remains 
firmly committed to protecting and expanding student-athletes' NIL rights and opportunities. However, our membership has steadfastly supported the prohibition on impermissible recruiting contacts, booster involvement in recruiting prospects, and the use of NIL offers as recruiting inducements. Translation, don't blame us. You guys are the ones who say you want this stuff enforced, and now we're trying to enforce it, and you're mad at us because you want it enforced against everybody but you. And they actually do have some degree of a point there. Some of what they're saying is spot on. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, they, they have a point there, but it doesn't change the reality that the organization in 2021, Chuck, had ample notice. This was not some ruling sprung on them by a judge. This was laws passed in places like California, California and Florida. California did it like 10 or 11 months ahead, and then everybody kind of got online with July 1st. And you remember Emmert went to the same playbook that he always went to. Well, uh, California, if you go through with this law, we might just drop all the California schools from our championships, and they didn't bite on the bluff. No. And all of a sudden, Florida did, took it. And, and a bunch of other states. And all of a sudden you're saying, okay, so now you're going to try and hold a basketball tournament with you know, South Dakota State against uh, you know, Maine? Go good, Fighting Sioux. Good luck with doing that. So rather than actually offer meaningful policies. North policy, Dakota. Ah, sorry. Meaningful policies, meaningful guidelines. Emmert literally two days before the deadline sent out a thing saying, well, follow the law in your state. And if not, then just sort of do what you like. <laughs> That's literally what he said. Y'all run along now. Just just go with whatever feels right if your state didn't pass a law. I'm sorry, guys. Yes, you're right. Yes, some people are hypocrites on this. But your $50 million a year president could not have screwed this up worse if he tried. So coming off as all haughty about you want us to enforce this, you guys screwed the pooch on this as badly as you possibly could have. And that is completely on you, no matter how many strongly worded statements you put out. And the part about... Any lawsuits will only slow down what you just said you wanted. If you can start time yesterday and put aside all the context about how you got here, okay, you're right, NCAA, that these pending lawsuits will only slow down the implementation of what all the schools have said they wanted. You said you wanted enforcement, now you're going to sue us. Only going to make it tougher. You're right, but we're here because of you. A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hi, I'm Mark Beckham with Atlanta Ramjack. We specialize in only foundation repair. What is foundation repair? Foundations sink or settle. These issues need to be addressed. It only becomes more costly the longer you put it off. What is the biggest cause of foundation problem? Either poor construction, inferior site preparation, or weather. Drought causes cracks in your foundations. If you see any signs of foundation issues, please contact us at atlantaramjack.com. Catch the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Download it now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. 
all about cruising. And that now means something different. Like option football used to mean who carries the ball on the ground, the fullback, the quarterback, or the pitch man. Um, option football now is who do we pass it to? Um, Cruden is obviously from other schools. It's from your own roster. It's Cruden, Cruden, Cruden all the time, and that's relationships in Alabama over the past. I want to say it was like two days ago, maybe three days ago, hired a guy, Jatavis Sanders, who had a lot of success kind of charting the course in Raleigh for Dave Dorn and the bunch there. And now Alabama's at another um, former recruiting coordinator at a big-time program. Uh, TCU going to talk about all of that lot stuff going on with Alabama right now with a new head coach finalizing things from Bama online it's an on three thing Clint Lamb Clint welcome to the program how's your Thursday it's going fantastic how you doing today uh nothing but good so Kalen DeBoer you're not from around here uh well he understands recruiting and so he's loading up on that end of it talk about both of the hires over the last few days I'll say from NC State now from Texas Christian yeah, I think, you know, started off with Jatavia Sanders. Uh, obviously has a lot of history at NC State. Top 30 recruiting class number, th- uh, I think, 29 overall, according to non-three. Uh, 2023, number 34 overall. And I think Sanders actually joined in March of 2022, if I'm not mistaken. And when you look at the previous three classes, they were in the 40s and the 50s and I think the high 30s. So, obviously, there's an improvement after he got there. Uh, you look really um at just how uh much he played a role in some of these nc state freshmen who had a lot of success uh kevin contraception uh you know kendrick Raphael, both those two guys had a lot of success in year one you talk about the players that he was recruiting in 2024 with terrell anderson who was a top 100 recruit i think on three actually has him as a borderline top 50 player and number nine receiver, they were able to sign him. They were able to sign running back uh, Jonathan Taylor, Elijah Groves, a linebacker, all four-star players going to NC State. You look at the the guys that he was able to help bring in as far as the transfer portal. I think that NC State did a really nice job as far as Grace, mm-hmm. uh, Grayson McCall and Noah Rogers. I mean, just the list goes on and on as far as what he was able to achieve uh, as far as working behind the scenes of that NC State program. And then you look at, at Hodges there at TCU, a lot of the same thing. I mean, he's one of the most well-respected off-field recruiters in all of college football. Uh, he does a great job of building relationships all across the country. He's got the experience that you look for working in the big-time programs. He worked under Urban Meyer at Ohio State. He's had opportunities at Texas Tech and Purdue. Um, so, you know, just a very smart, creative guy how he approaches things. Very good at building relationships. And I think when you look at these two guys collectively, uh, there's no doubt. I mean, there's one area that people had concerns with when it came to Kalen DeBoer coming to Alabama, and, and it was can you recruit? And I think, you know, the, the results haven't started pouring in yet other than Ryan Williams getting him back in the fold, and obviously that was a huge deal. But based off of what we've uh, – you know, seeing as far as the kind of staff that he's bringing in, the support staff and all that, obviously recruiting is going to be a primary, uh, you know, uh, emphasis for this staff, and I think they're going to do a pretty good job of maintaining. Will it be Nick Saban level where it's number one or number two every single year? Maybe, maybe not, but either way, uh, I don't think based off of what we've seen the approach be so far that people need to be overly concerned with will there be an emphasis on recruiting. 
Continuing talking Alabama from Bama Online. It's an on3.com thing, man. On3sports does a great job there. Clint Lamb uh, on with us today. So let's talk. Uh, you mentioned there we were talking recruiting, and Ryan Williams, you had mentioned uh, five-star who had reclassified, decommitted. Uh, all right, now I'm back in the fold. Um, so he will sign, I assume, in six days or so. Uh, just with high, the portal was its own deal, but just high school class and who was committed and all that. Uh, was there a lot of movement? Is there a net gain or loss by projection right now as far as high school kids for this year's class for Alabama? Uh, you know, I, ask that again. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm, I'm, not I'm saying like when Nick Saban quit, just as the portal is its own deal. I'm not talking about the college kids who, are, you know, decided to leave. Um, when Nick Saban left, if you're talking about high school kids who were committed to Alabama at that point, where is the Alabama high school class right now this year following the transition from Saban to DeBoer? Well, obviously, you know, you lose Julian Sayan, you lose, uh, um, you know, Jameer Grimsley, who I think is a very underrated corner. I think he's got a lot of upside long-term, kind of a developmental guy. But, uh, you know, the transition hasn't been as rocky as you would think. Obviously, there's players that have been in the program who have decided to leave. You know, Caleb Downs was a key one. Uh, I think a guy like Caden Proctor was already going to be a guy who's going to be looking to go elsewhere. Uh, you know, I think losing, you know, Isaiah Bond and Amari Nightblack and some of those guys, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's a big transition going from anybody, uh, going from Nick Saban to literally anybody. But I think Alabama's done a very good job, Greg Byrne in particular. He identified very quickly what he was looking for as far as a successor. He goes out, he makes the pitch, he gets his guy in Kalen DeBoer, and DeBoer stabilizes the ship fairly quickly. So as far as the high school guys in the current class, I think they've done a good job of holding that together pretty well. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Julian saying losing a player like that, you never want to, but at the same time, um, you know, they were able to bring in Alex Mack, who I think has a lot of long-term upside as well, especially in Kalen DeBoer's offense. So I think that they're, they've been able to maintain as far as the talent level in the roster. There's going to be some drop-off. It's not as deep as it was under Nick Saban necessarily, but it's still one of the most talented rosters in college football, and that includes this 2024 class, especially when you add in a guy like Ryan Williams who could be a true difference maker, I think, even from day one. You always need to keep at least one person around to tell you, you know, how to get things done around campus um, from the staff. But Kalen DeBoer, I believe it goes a little further than that. Uh, what did he like about Freddie Roach and Robert Gillespie? Because they're the two holdovers. Uh, just the, the fact that they do have, they bring that continuity factor. Uh, they kind of, it's not a completely new staff where every player in the locker room is getting to know nothing but new coaches. There's some familiarity there. Freddie Roach, I don't know why he's gotten such a bad rap from some Alabama fans as far as his ability to recruit his own position. I don't think it's ever had anything to do with him. Any sort of drop-off on that front, I think, has been more schematic-based. Uh, you know, because you look at all these other positions and all these guys really, they love Freddie Roach. He does a fantastic job recruiting them. Uh, why would a player that was going to be with him every day in practice, like a defensive lineman, why would they have something against him and think that he was an issue? I don't think it's been a Freddie Roach problem at all. I think he's finally starting to get some of the credit that he's rightfully earned. And, you know, he's been around the Alabama program for a long time. I mean, obviously he, you know, there were several years he went to the NFL. He did some other things, but he played at Alabama, you know, pre-saving era. 
He understands, you know, what it was like before Saban, and then he was able to get a taste of what it was like under Saban just from a different perspective. And, you know, he's been huge as far as even the recruitment of Ron Williams. You know, that's not his primary position, obviously. It's not his position at all. Uh, but And he was not the primary recruiter. Really, that was other guys. But he stepped in and kind of saved the day. And Courtney Morgan, uh, Alabama's, you know, GM, he has mentioned Freddie Roach by name as far as his impact on that front. So, Give him a lot of credit for what he's been able to do. I think he's been very important, and so is Robert Gillespie. Uh, just his familiarity with the offense, the running back room that they have, you know, trying to keep those guys in that room because it's one of the most talented groups and deep groups in the country. Uh, I think that uh, they were two very important uh, keeps for Alabama. Different coaches have their own requirements. Um, I've heard Kirby, if you're not six foot tall, you're not getting a scholarship if you're a corner. I mean, some guys are like that. Um, Do you know of any sort of different player or body type or objectives or whatever it is that Kalen DeBoer wants to get done on the two deep versus the players, the type of players that Nick Saban would bring in? Uh, Based off of where things were trending, uh, the only thing that really jumps out, you know, off the top of my head would be offensive line. Alabama had been trending towards getting a little bit smaller, uh, a little bit more finesse offensively. I think they looked at Georgia and the success that they had in 2022 and 2023, uh, or excuse me, 2021 and 2022. And they realized, you know, you can still have the big physical offensive line, run the ball primarily, play your defense off of that, play your passing game off of that. And so they started getting bigger with their offensive line. I mean, you look at the two tackles last year, and they averaged, you know, six, six and a half, you know, six, seven, somewhere in that range, 360 plus pounds. And that's just not going to be how, you know, Kalen DeBoer operates. He kind of wants a little bit smaller. He wants the physicality. He wants to be able to, to use uh, the run game, be very strategic in how he uses his run game as far as efficiency and effectiveness. And, you know, he really asked his offensive lineman to do a ton. I mean, it's it really what he throws at opposing defenses is very complicated to keep up with. I don't think it's complicated to a point where it hinders your offense in any way. I think it's very standard from their side of things. It's just a lot of different looks. And uh, the offensive line is going to be a little bit smaller. They go out and they add the center from Washington. I think that was big, uh, Brelsford, uh, because, you know, he's only, what, 6'2", about 275, 280 pounds. Not an overly big guy, but he was very effective in Kalen DeBoer's system, whether it be, you know, in pass protection, also really good as far as his run blocking. He's not going to be a mauler uh, type player, but very efficient in his technique, and he's going to be able to move guys and grind guys out of the, the trenches. And, you know, that's the style of player that I think Kalen DeBoer wants along his offensive line for the most part. I'm not saying that they won't have size and length. I'm not saying they won't be, you know, have an emphasis on physicality, especially in the SEC. It's just going to be built and look a little different than what it was trending back towards under Nick Saban. All right, I want to ask you about one kid, and if Kalen DeBoer has identified any specifics about Austin Mack, he's a quarterback at UW. He redshirted last year. He had reclassified to to get into that recruiting class, and so he's decided to transfer with his head coach. Never played college ball. He's got four years left. By my understanding, Jalen Milrow will be back. Uh, Ty Simpson is still there, and Dylan Lonergan, who was a true freshman. Actually, he's a high school senior last spring, and they were like, hey, this guy's really good. They're all back. What is the idea with Austin Mack? Well, I think, number one, it's kind of like, uh, you know, an NFL, uh, you know, a new NFL head coach. He kind of likes to bring in, whether it be he's an offensive-minded guy or defensive-minded guy, they 
typically like to bring in a couple of players on, you know, with their specialty, whether they're offense or defense, to just help with the continuity factor. You've got players in the locker room who can kind of relay, you know, the expectations and how thing, things operate and help with the offense or help with the defense. And I think Austin Max, from that standpoint, is going to be, you know, crucial. But also the long-term ability that he could end up having in this Alabama system uh, I think it, 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 he could end up being one of the better quarterbacks in the country. And everybody looks at his recruiting ranking, and I think he was somewhere in like the neighborhood of like 215 or 220 overall. But that's because he had reclassified. There wasn't a whole lot mm-hmm. of tape on him. I think he only started one year. He was phenomenal in that season, completed over 70% of his passes, had like 40 touchdowns, only like five or six interceptions. Uh, so very productive and the fact that he didn't get to go through like the all American circuit and let some of these recruiting guys get their eyes on it. There was just limited information to go off of. So with that reclassification, because guys are younger, they're typically going to be rated a little bit lower. Um, and, you know, I think that had a lot to do with it, but the, the, the number one thing to look at here is Kalen DeBoer saw Austin Mack for a season at Washington, and he was willing to bring him in at the risk of losing Julian Sayan. I think that should tell everybody everything they need to know. Kalen DeBoer is not an idiot. He's not dumb. He's considered one of the better uh, offensive minds in college football. Uh, he manages things extremely well. And I don't think this was a swing and a miss as far as miss, you know, calculating how the situation was going to go down. I think it was the fact that he wanted Austin Mack that much where he was willing to risk losing a guy like Julian Sain. And some people even claim that he kind of pushed Julian Sain out the door. I don't know what happened, uh, you know, as far as the behind the scenes stuff, but either way, Sain's no longer there. And I think Kalen DeBoer is very happy with where that quarterback room is at. Uh, Jalen Milrow obviously is the the returning starter. He should be the assumed starter. But at the same time, it's going to be an open competition. And some of the things and some of the limitations that Milrow had, he's going to have to improve on in this Kalen DeBoer offense because of the way that it operates. I believe in this staff's ability to get that out of him if if they choose to go that route. But I also think a guy like Ty Simpson or Dylan Lonergan or even Austin Mack, I kind of view Austin Mack as more – of a 2025, 2026 kind of guy. But if he ends up proven ready uh, this year, then, you know, it could. I wouldn't rule, completely rule him out of the competition. But I think that uh, it's going to be uh, – they're going to get effective play out of the quarterback position. This Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Grubb offense, it demands it. Uh, and you've seen everywhere they've been, you've seen improved quarterback play year over year. And I think that they're going to get that out of this Alabama group, which is still one of the most talented in the country and one of the most intriguing groups in the country. So I think they're in really good shape. This information, this commentary, it's available every single day on three sports. Clint Lamb. Clint, thank you for your time, friend. Absolutely. Good talking to you. All right, Clint Lamb. BamaOnline.com. Hey, quick question. Top of your mind with the disclaimer that every situation is different. I want to pick your brain in 30-second poll here. High school quarterback reclassifies to go to UW where Michael Penix is already there. There's a lot, a lot of value into hanging out and just watching. The kid was never, ever going to play. Um, Not last year when he reclassified. What about playing 12, 13, 14 high school games and flinging it around 45 times a night? Against high school kids, I understand. Just being around Caleb DeBoer and Michael Penix, but never really doing anything outside of playing the Washington State or Oregon State or Stanford quarterback in practice. 
I mean, to me, it seems like that has more value than whatever you're getting against high school kids. Some of it depends on what level of competition yeah. you see in your high school, yeah. too. Yeah, and that's Northern California. I want to know about that. Like, what is your high school system, et cetera? This is one of those things you always talk about with a minor league baseball player that it's hey, better to get A-Bs in AAA than set the bench in the majors. All of these things. Better to get some minutes in the, the G League or the D League? What is What does the NBA have now? G League or D League? Uh, they believe they call it the D-League these days. The D-League. Better to get minutes there than be the 12th guy on the bench for the T-Wolves. In this case, I think by osmosis, I think by being in the film room with Michael Penix and just like hearing stuff and just by watching how he carries himself, quarterbacks really, I've said this before, they improve, like really improve. There's basically one way, play in games. High school football versus Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix and UW and playoffs and all that other stuff is an unbelievable immersion, just a fishbowl to just drop a 17 or 18-year-old kid into and go, all right, experience that. A lot of information, but you just wonder just by being in it what that value is. But he didn't pick up football in any sort of meaningful situation. Hadn't, and uh, It would be almost two years, and he's not expected to play this year as well, so he's still kind of in that. All right, uh, we break. And we will come back and wrap it up on a Thursday next. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. I think we've only lost one game in two years in November. I could be wrong about that. But so if we can... You know, if that holds course and we play well at home and play well late November, then, you know, we have a chance. The, the schedule really, you know, looks good for us to, you know, get started on the right note and then got to finish strong. What was the threshold? How many games have we lost in November the past two seasons? I'm not going to check his work. I, that's a – I don't know. It's a, not nothing, but uh, kind of narrowing into maybe something that kind of fits your Joey McGuire, the Texas Tech head coach, and was well regarded when the hire came in, and they've had some success there. He's talking about his schedule, which, if you care about the November slate for the Texas Tech Red Raiders, all conference games: Iowa State, Colorado, Oklahoma State, West Virginia. I'm more interested at the front end of this Big Twelve. It's a large conference. The Big 12, it is a nine-game slate, and you know from Orlando to wherever else. What interests me is, did Texas Tech realize Washington State didn't make the cut into the Big 12? Week one, Abilene Christian. Week two, at Washington State. It's a non-conference game, but it just kind of jumped out to me after the carnage that just took place and the fact that Wazoo and the Beavers don't really have a conference, not really, Cal and Stanford, guess what? You don't really have a conference either. You just got a lot of long road trips. So I think what's going to happen is Washington State and Oregon State, they're going to get in that. I think eventually the outcome is the brand of Pac-12 will lure the Mountain West to kind of do away with... Remember, there used to be this thing called the WAC, the Western Athletic Conference? 
yeah, the bigger brand takes over sometimes. Hey, what's up? Chuck, I, I am marveling at the NCAA ruling that just came down about the Alabama former baseball coach, Brad Bohannon. You might remember famously uh, he was uh, let go last season with a couple of weeks to go in the season because of accusations he was in some way involved in an yeah, attempt, attempt to manipulate betting. The penalty he got, 15-year penalty from the NCAA, it could be a 1,000 years. No one's ever going to hire that guy again. No. Uh, 15 years for him for show cause, three years probation, 5K fine for Alabama, and they've got an anti-gambling program. Chuck, this, this is somehow stupider than we knew. He texted the better, quote, hammer, pitcher is out for sure. Let me know when I can tell SU hurry, according to a thing he sent through the Signal app. The guy tried to place a $100,000 wager on an LSU-Bama regular Mid-week season baseball. game, yep. told them to the sportsbook staff, quote, the bet was, quote, for sure going to win, and quote, if only you guys knew what I knew. God. It also included him showing sportsbook staff messages from Bohannon and explaining they were Bohannon, telling him they were scratching the starting pitcher, and he hadn't told LSU. He showed the messages to the staff. He tried to bet 100K on a game and showed them the inside info. Chuck, this might be the dumbest human ever walked the planet. The only thing he didn't do was, like, have the money, like in a cartoon, you know, where they have a bag with the dollar sign on the side of it and bills sticking out of the top. Strange but true. Back tomorrow. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps $5 minimum balance required. Hey, sandwich lovers. Today is your lucky day. There's a whole new way to roll for lunch or dinner delight with Nucky's Hoagies in the Roswell Corners Shopping Center. Now open. Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell is family owned and operated by the subsisters, Stacy and Shannon, whose love language is food and Nucky's Hoagies, their passion. When you bite into a Nucky's Hoagie, you'll taste the difference. The softest hoagie rolls ever, along with hunger-quenching sandwich combinations. Make Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell on Woodstock Road your new favorite spot for lunch or dinner. 